Hi, this is Tom Compton of We Hold These Truths. You're listening to the Unheralded News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths at whtt.org on the web. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's podcast for Unheralded News and Pharisee Watch, we're going to visit several subjects. And the first one is we want to comment about one of the comments that we got on our video, John Hagee with Benny Hinn praying for war in the name of Jesus. We've had 222 comments, and the likes were 118 to 46 dislikes. So we're reaching people that didn't like what we had to say that must think that what John Hagee has to say about praying for war in the name of Jesus is biblical. But one of the comments that we received is actually from Palestine. We had over, I think it's about 35 viewers in the Palestinian territory that have watched our video. And so our comment that we hold these truths has figuratively jumped over the Israeli separation wall. Okay, here's the comment from the Palestinian territory that we received, and it goes like this. I just want to know from the so-called Reverend George Morrison, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were Jews, question mark, question mark, question mark. And as you'll recall, if you watch the video, Reverend George Morrison is the pastor of Faith Bible Chapel in Arvada, Colorado, where we held our vigil in front of the Christians United for Israel event featuring John Hagee. And George Morrison, in this little clip that was in our video, describes the modern state of Israel, according to the Bible as he reads it, would include all the territory up to Damascus, Syria, and would encompass all of Jordan. And so this question is very pertinent because, like I said, there were no Jews at the time. Chuck, would you explain this for us, please? The term Jew, of course, came along much later in relatively modern English history, maybe in the time of Shakespeare. Prior to that time, the tribes were called by their tribal names, such as Judean or something like that. But more important, perhaps even than the fact that there were no Jews at the time of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, is the fact there were no Israelites at that time either. And, of course, the Israelis of today claim that they're the same as the Israelites of Abraham's time. When God spoke to Abraham, as most Christians and almost all Muslims do believe happened, he made a promise to him, and after that, Abraham was successful in fathering two sons by different wives. One of them was named Isaac and the other was named Ishmael. And the Muslim person, whoever wrote the letter in, was referring to this other son, Ishmael, at that time. Then later, Isaac produced a son named Jacob, whose name became Israel. And from him, then the tribe of Israel began. So, of course, at the time of all this was going on, when God was speaking to Abraham, there was no 
Israel because there was no person even called Israel. So this Muslim person who's asking this question is absolutely right uh, in asking rhetorically, do you mean to say these people claim that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were Jews? Of course they weren't. And that goes with his second point here in this comment. Another issue for Morrison, hasn't Abraham got another son? Ishmael, question mark, question mark, question mark. And we've uh, addressed that. And as you've described, Chuck, the problem exists for both the Muslims and the Jews is how do you prove that you're of that lineage? We know that most of the Jewish people that live in Israel are Ashkenazis from Central Europe near Russia that were converts from the ninth century. So there's very strong evidence that they have no direct lineage or they can't prove it to a direct line of Abraham. Right, and of course it is in the Quran or derived from the Quran that the Arab tribes were of the lineage of Ishmael. And so they point this back to Abraham and say, we're sons of Abraham too. Well, uh, they probably have a better claim than the Ashkenaz Jews do because there's no evidence that the Arabs ever entirely left the area. And so they could have be direct descendants. But they, the, better, the better argument here really is that you can't base a land claim on what someone thinks their lineage is. And especially if you can't, even if you could prove it, and, you can't, and no, nobody can prove it. So the way we argue this point, the way we point this out, is nobody can, can prove ownership of land based on lineage back to Abraham. And uh, use, trying to use the Bible to justify it is just waving wands. And that's exactly the way the state of Israel pretends that they had the right to take the land away from the Arabs, is by claiming that they got it directly from Abraham and that they're descendants. And backed up by the beliefs of Christian Zionists that the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Exactly, Tom. Very good. And the people that wrote this letter seem to have it very straight and uh, probably Muslim, but they could be Christian as well. Right. And then, well, they go on here, his last point, who tortured Jesus and crucified him? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And, of course, that was the Pharisees, the Judean class that were the religious rulers at the time. Now, the comments end, we as Arab Muslims and Christians here in the Holy Land of Palestine know the truth. They know the right questions that many of our, what we call our bloodthirsty brothers in Christ who demand this physical piece of real estate, which is now called Israel, be exclusive for Jews only and that the indigenous people there, whether they were Muslims or Christians or there were Jews living there, they wouldn't say that about Jews, but they would say that the Christians and Muslims have no right to be there. Our point, too, also is the fact that the lineage was a mechanism that God used to provide for Jesus Christ in all the prophecies that were made during the Old Testament times pointed to Jesus Christ. So those who embrace Christianity have Christ as their leader and their disciples of Christ. They're supposed to be disciples of Christ. And so they should be interested in spiritual things and what Jesus 
taught us to do rather than trying to wrap it around a physical piece of real estate. Tom, I might add that if you tell this story to Muslims, they will accept it. And uh, you can also point out to them that the words given to Abraham suggest or infer or, or, or perhaps even state outright that there will be a Messiah that will come who will be the beneficiary to all mankind. And Muslims will accept this, but of course Jews will not. Muslims do believe there was a Christ, and they don't have a problem with Abraham, with the idea that Abraham, that God told, was telling Abraham there would be a Messiah. But of course, no Jew, of course, will ever admit that Jesus was anything other than a man, if indeed they admit that he even lived in the first place. Good letter. Okay, well, for our next item, we're going to be covering a topic that's kind of heating up here. It's about ethanol. And we've touched on this a number of times in previous broadcasts. And as we mentioned on our recent broadcast, the subsidies for ethanol actually came to an end at the end of the 2011 calendar year. And it remains to be seen if they're going to be reinstituted. But there is a lot of flurry of interest even from the environmental groups that are realizing that there really isn't any environmental advantage to burning ethanol, burning corn, which is food, because that's what we are doing. As Chuck has pointed out a number of years ago, we are burning food and causing higher prices. Leslie, would you read us the story from Bloomberg? Corn prices rise worldwide due to U.S. ethanol policy, FAO says. Business Week, Bloomberg, January 23, 2012. The U.S. policy to produce ethanol biofuel from corn is raising prices for the grain across the world, said Jose Graziano de Silva, the new Director General of the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. Quote, FAO has been raising its voice against using food to produce big energy, unquote, Grazio de Silva told a meeting of about 70 agriculture ministers in Berlin today. That is especially the case of corn in the U.S. and the oil seeds in Europe, he said. Corn futures closed at $6.115 a bushel on the Chicago Board of Trade yesterday, almost triple the $2.1175 a bushel for the grain a decade ago. Part of the U.S. corn production is used to make ethanol for blending into gasoline as a fuel while rapeseed is used in Europe to make biodiesel. Quote, we have been looking into the details of the price and nowadays there is no doubt that the use of maize in the U.S. for biofuels affects the prices of maize all over the world, unquote, Grazio de Silva said, using another name for corn. Ethanol production from sugarcane in Brazil accounts for 3% of land use and for now doesn't affect the price of sugar in international markets, according to the FAO Director General, who is Brazilian and nominated FAO head as of January 1st. 
Biofuel production doesn't necessarily affect food security, particularly when land use for extensive livestock raising its converted to crop use, Grazio da Silva said. Quote, we finished a study among the Latin American countries and we found only four countries in the region that could expand biofuel production without affecting food security, unquote, Grazio da Silva said. Quote, those are Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Colombia. All of them, they have a huge amount of area under extensive pasture that could be converted into very good lands for biofuel use, unquote. Biofuels are, quote, a promise, unquote, and technology improvements are still required to, quote, completely change, unquote, that, according to Graziano de Silva. Quote, food security comes first, that is the rule, unquote, the FAO head said. Quote, the position we have right now in FAO is that cereals should not be used for biofuels production, unquote. Editors Claudia Carpenter and Chad Thomas. Chuck, would you like to add some comments about the story? <clears throat> yes. Since you've been uh, this following is one it. of many, many voices that is now speaking up against the use of, of food to make fuel. De Silva has not made the same statement against using sugar cane to make fuel, but uh, and I would argue the same thing, that, uh, well, sugar may not be as good for you as cornflakes. It certainly uh, is a food, and if Brazil continues to use sugar cane to make ethanol, then they will wind up doing the same thing to the price of sugar that has been done to the price of corn. In other words, drive the price of corn up 300%. De Silva is absolutely correct, and this organization, FAO, are the people that pass out the grain rations in places like Gaza and Darfur and places like that where people absolutely don't have anything to eat and are dependent upon foreign gifts, you might say, of food through the United Nations FAO organization. And without making any comment on whether that's good or bad, it is absolutely true that the use of corn to make ethanol has produced a tremendous food shortage of not just corn, but all cereal grains, because one just follows the other. We've written many times about this, and the reason this story is important is that it is coming from a place that uh, has a lot of influence, and it's also a leader in a lot of other organizations who we're seeing that now are also coming out and opposing the use of food to make gasoline, and those include people like the Friends of the Earth and other big environmental organizations, as well as uh, the Cato Institute and uh, others, others of that kind who are absolutely saying that uh, there is no environmental value to this at all. It's nothing but a sham to transfer money from the hands of the general public into the hands of the ethanol industry and, of course, the farmers who produce corn benefit and it does nothing but in the process, as a byproduct of this transfer of wealth, it drives up the price of all foods. And uh, this is the first time, other than our own selves, who we, we've been writing about this for four or five years, that this is an inevitability, that the price of food will go absolutely through the ceiling as a result of the use of making ethanol out of food. 
And finally, others are realizing it, and it's uh, actually being talked about a lot of other places. This is a story that uh, we thought was interesting because it came from this big UN organization, but there are literally dozens of stories like this that we could raise, and we consider it a very important task that anybody who wants to save the, the cupboard and be able to afford to fill it take some action to uh, absolutely tell whoever they know that ethanol mandates have to go. They, have to, they must stop forcing us to buy this stuff at the fuel pump. That will take care of the problem immediately. In our next story, which we have been seeing, are police training videos. This was reported by the New York Times, and it's another dark film on U.S. Muslims. Leslie? New York Times Religion, January 26, 2012. Quoting the New York Times, Tom Robbins, a former columnist with the Village Voice, first revealed that the police had screened the film. The Brennan Center then filed its request. The 72-minute film was financed by the Clarion Fund, a nonprofit group whose board includes a former Central Intelligence Agency official. Its previous documentary, Attacking Muslims' War on the West, attracted support from the casino magnate Sheldon Adelson, a major supporter of Israel who has helped reshape the Republican presidential primary by pouring millions of dollars into a so-called super PAC that backs Newt Gingrich. The nonprofit group shares officials with Aish Hatora, an Israeli organization that opposes any territorial concessions on the West Bank. The producer of the Third Jihad, Raphael Shore, also works with Aish Hatora. Clarion's financing is a puzzle. Its federal income tax forms show contributions, grants, and revenues typically hover around $1 million annually, except in 2008 when it booked contributions of $18.3 million. That same year, Clarion produced Obsession, Radical Islam's War Against the West. The Clarion Fund used its surge in contributions to pay to distribute tens of millions of copies of this DVD in swing electoral states across the country in September 2008. The third jihad is quite similar in style and content to that earlier film, narrated by Zudi Jasser, a Muslim doctor and former American military officer in Arizona. The Third Jihad casts a broad shadow over American Muslims. Few Muslim leaders, it states, can be trusted. Tom, if I may, let me add a a slight introduction to this that might be helpful. Uh, This story resulted from a freedom of information suit that the New York Times conducted, believe it or not. They did something on our side. And they were inquiring as to why the New York Police Department was showing this incredible film called The Third Jihad to police officers in New York City when it was basically very much a hate film. And a lot of people really thought this was abuse of religion and abuse of the police department and 
So they've dug into this, and it's very revealing because we know some of the characters involved. Tom, um, you might like to comment on that. Well, yes, Dr. Zahudi Jasser is a, a local doctor here in the Phoenix area, and he's what he calls a moderate Muslim. There's good mu- good Muslims like himself, moderate, then there's radical. And the radical number varies from anywhere from what they claim 5 to 10%. So basically, though, they're smearing anybody that is a Muslim, and it makes people suspicious, these types of movies. Another movie that they made three movies, actually, two of them were from uh, through PBS. They had a competition, and they whoever won in, with their ideas got funding. And so I know at least one of their films got $700,000 from PBS, but it was so inflammatory, PBS did not show the movie. I actually found the movie for a couple dollars in a store somewhere and looked at it and could understand, looking at that video, how they painted Muslims. You know, they talk about the moderate ones, but the, what's always in your mind are these radical ones. And they may only be 5 to 10%, but it's over a billion Muslims. Then that means that there's at least 10 million that are radicals. You know, they're out to get us. So it is a a piece that divides and creates hate against Muslims, and it's it's wrong for doing this. And nobody is seeming to object. We've talked about Walad Shubat, who was hired by the Homeland Security Department to make a presentation in North Dakota to a group of police officers there. So it's a similar kind of subjection. He was paid $5,000 for his performance there. He was exposed by Anderson Cooper uh, very extensively uh, by one of Anderson Cooper's investigative reporters. And so it's big business to, to bash Muslims. Certainly. And, of course, we wrote our own comment on this. Uh, You want to read the comment, Leslie? Promulgation of hate videos is not a local New York police issue. It is part of attacking Islam, a 20-year-old unofficial policy of the state of Israel and its lobby within our government, who expect us to believe that we are taking care of business with the axis of evil. It is also de facto U.S. fiscal policy promoted by both parties, as we wrote of attacking Islam in 1994. We consumers are supposed to cheerfully pay for it and watch while Iranian civilians are massacred while we pay for it at the gas pump. Very good. And we see this from our video of, The war prayer by John Hagee was made actually before the Iraq war, but he's called four years ago for war against Iran. And we see these continuing war drums because of, partly because of demonizing of Islam and Iran. And so it's easy to tie all those things in with all the hate that's being generated here in the United States and around the world. The Europeans are joining in with uh, sanctions, even though it's 
surely going to be suicide for them. I mean, they've got such high prices on gasoline, for example, that is due to all the taxes they put on it. But it's amazing to me how insane these policies are, actually. It's like the lemming folk that are running off the giant cliff here. But we do have, Tom, a knowledgeable and ongoing and planned war-based economy and all talk from the president of the side about cutting defense spending and all that, it will never happen because their plan is to continue to expand the war-based economy in order to keep the economy going and create jobs. So it's fair to say that we live in a war-based economy and that the things that we do see that lead to war are planned or pre-planned, as Leslie says, and are not accidents and are in no way something that can be cured simply by informing our leaders, we have to actually manhandle them into stopping their warring activities. Okay, good. And we have some other stories that kind of fit in with this. The next story from Bloomberg News, Iran said to seek yen oil payment from India and tighter global sanctions. Chuck? The United States putting pressure on Europe through their financial problems and we're basically strong-arming Europe into supporting the proposed embargo on uh, Iranian oil. And so Iran is now taking these very logical actions. They're going to their eastern customers, away from the European customers. They're going to India. They're going to China. They're going to Russia. And they're saying, we'll make a good deal with you to sell you oil if you'll be fair with us. And uh, what, the, what the, they're asking the Indians to do is to take uh, the Indian worthless currency, which is uh, not respected much, and exchange it for the Japanese currency, and then pay them for their oil in the Japanese currency, which they would then are more comfortable to hold. Another similar story that's uh, also been published very recently is that Iran has come out and said to Europe, we may not wait for you to decide if you're going to place an embargo on us and quit buying our oil, if you're stalling as, as they're doing, we're just going to go to find other markets and we're thinking seriously of cutting off all Iranian oil for Europe and taking it directly to China. This was uh, announced in the paper today. So all of these warring efforts against Iran are causing tremendous disruption all around the world in very simple trade that goes on all the time, such as Europeans trading dollars for oil and using the Iranian oil. Well, and I don't see how anyone could not but help see through this charade that we're doing everything with our crony friends in Europe to provoke Iran to make some kind of a attack so that they would justify the a war against them would be justification. That's all they need is for Iran to blow its cool, so to speak, and they haven't so far. They've been been very reasonable about what they're doing. So far they've just uh, sought economic methods and uh, made some threats about shutting off the Strait of Hormuz, but they haven't done anything like that. Of course, there's always the danger that someone will make it look like they did in order to start yes. the war. But uh, the war is the effort, and our listeners need to understand that uh, the, the stopping war is our job. It's not going to be our congressmen and leaders and presidents and elected officials 
and, and big businessmen from the oil companies that are going to go out and stop war. They really are the ones who benefit from war, and it's up to us to put the pressure on them in no uncertain terms. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody, and that's our report for today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast, and please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.